0: Welcome back into our Huskers Radio Network podcast. I'm Jessica Cooney, and we continue our Title IX podcast series as we celebrate excellence in women's athletics for 50 years of Title Title IX. And boy, am I excited about today's guest. You want to talk about a pioneer, someone that helped lay the foundation, Carol Frost. Thank you so much. I've been wanting to do an interview and sit down and pick your brain for a long time. So thank you for spending some time with us. That's fine. So I, I wanted to go back. I know you know a lot of people know your story, the Olympian first Nebraska woman to go to the Olympics. But when you were growing up in small town Nebraska, did mm-hmm. you like sports growing up? Were you? Oh, yeah, yeah? yeah. Did you play sports?
1: Well, yeah, I was lucky in, uh, my, my older brother is six years older than I am. And he, um, he was a pitcher and he pitched junior legion. And <laughs> I, I remember catching him. He was six years older than I was. So he's 16. I'm 10. And I have to catch him. And I've got an old mitt. And I put my dad's work gloves inside that mitt and then still come out with swollen hands and bruised shins and everything. But, no, I loved it. I, I shot baskets in the corn crib. I, yeah. And, and in a small town in Nebraska, we had a town team softball team. So I was able to play softball, and then in high school we had a high school volleyball team. So, uh, yeah, they so grew up did, in small town. So you kind of did it all, yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm.
0: you, had, you had talked about you had a teacher that saw right. a group of girls that maybe had potential. So how did that go about where he he made it happen
1: for you guys? That was that was an amazing story, and I often say without Randall Lambert, uh, I don't my life would have been totally different because. Uh, we did, our, our our softball team came down to Lincoln and we won state. We beat Gary Sporting Goods and we beat some Lincoln teams. Uh, we won conference, Cedar Valley Conference in volleyball. And so we had more than one athlete. And so he saw, it took about, oh, six of us and called us the road runners. And uh, we started a track team. And I started off as a half miler and a hurdler and uh, threw kind of on the side and uh, he was a fundraiser. He wasn't, didn't know that much about track, but he was a researcher. And uh, back then, you couldn't go to YouTube, but you could get a couple videos, you know, and, mm-hmm. and a book or two. And so we kind of taught ourselves. Wow. And uh, yeah, my junior year, between my junior and senior year, he took us from Cedar Rapids, Nebraska, all the way to the Los Angeles Coliseum and I threw in the Junior Olympics in the Los Angeles Coliseum. And uh, I got second in the shot, did terrible in the hurdles and the uh, half mile, you know, I, I, no way I had the kind of speed that you need to do that. And uh, I threw the discus and could have won, but it was the old story, my best one was out of bounds. <laughs> but I knew that I could thro- throw with the best people. And so after that, I became a thrower. So
0: why did he pursue track if he didn't know much about it and why was that the sport that he chose for you guys you know
1: back then I'm not sure there were no there wasn't softball at the universities there was no volleyball at the university level but you could get on the United States track team and I, I guess he had the foresight to know that that was one sport where you could excel without having to uh well, I played AAU basketball, and uh, but you still couldn't go beyond Midwest, right. and so that was one sport where, you know, I, I was able to uh, come down to the university. And uh, he left Cedar Rapids and came to Garland, Nebraska, which is just a few miles uh, west of west of Lincoln. And continued to be our coach and basically fundraiser, lined up meets for us and everything. And we threw AAU. AAU was the amateur athletic union at that time, and that was the only way that you could be involved with track and field.
0: When you look back in that opportunity that he fought for, I mean, that wasn't normal. What no. do you think it was about him that he, he wanted to fight to give you those opportunities? I, you know, I
1: don't know. He was English teacher and boys basketball coach. And so I I really don't know what I, I mean. He just saw some talent in some of us, and uh, yeah, I give him the credit for. You know, we we drove to Kalispell, Montana for meets. We went to Kansas City, uh, of course, all the way to L.A., and uh, found a way to get get me involved in national competition. And so that was the only way. I graduated from high school in 1963. And by 1965, I was on the United States national team. I got sixth in the javelin, third in the shot, won the discus, and was walking red square and throwing the discus in Kiev. Wow. Yep. What
0: did you like about the discus when you started? Or did you uh, like it at first? Yeah,
1: I liked the discus better than the shot. Uh, I was just better. I was just better at it. And uh, I enjoyed the technique of it more so than the shot but I continued to throw the shot and the discus I threw the javelin at nationals uh, never never placed higher than sixth in that but was able to win the national championship in the discus
0: so that's a quick time to go from just starting the sport to making the national team how, what went into that how did you get so good it, so fast you know it
1: was uh there was a <laughs> a field right behind the school at uh in in cedar rapids and i remember that the um the trash can from the circle was 150 feet and that was my goal to be able to throw past that and you know to to place in the nationals you had to throw between probably 155 and 65 and you know now the the gals that are throwing are throwing over 200 feet but uh with a lot more training right yeah (laughs) i had no idea what a weight was when i was throwing my weights were milking the cows carrying milk up and down you know from the barn to the house and that was that was my strength training
0: so being that you know it was your junior year of high school how did that did you immediately think have that dream oh i could go to the olympics
1: or how did that come about no no that was that was not even You know, my folks, my mom and dad were sharecroppers. Uh, They loved to come to the softball games at Cedar Rapids, but track was really foreign to them. They had no idea, probably never even seen a track meet. And so for him to take us girls and develop us enough to qualify even for national competition was, that was quite a feat. So when did you think, oh, wow, I could maybe be an Olympian? Probably 1965, you know, when I made when I made my first national team, and then two years later in 1967, I won the Pan American gold in uh, Winnipeg, Canada, and was the best thrower in the United States. And so, when you're number one in the country, you've got a chance. You still had to meet back. Well, probably even now, you have to meet a standard, and the standard was like 170 feet, and. Uh, the year that I went to the Olympics, I threw 172. So I met the qualifying standard. And uh, that year, though, I was only second. I didn't win the nationals in 1968. Uh, a gal by the name of Olga Connolly won it. Wow. And so, yeah. She was a. Uh, she was a. Uh, she defected from Czechoslovakia because her husband was Hal Connolly, who was one of our hammer throwers. They met in an international meet and of course czechoslovakia is behind the iron curtain and she hal Connolly, somehow smuggled her out of czechoslovakia she became the american citizen and she beat me but i still got second so were you aware at the time that no nebraska woman had ever made the olympics no you know that i that still surprises me when i hear people say that uh I guess I don't know if, if, uh, if because it was track at that time and you could because you weren't going to make the Olympics on any volleyball team. You mm-hmm. weren't going to make the Olympics on a softball team. I think track was about your only option to be able to do that back, you know, this was 1968. It was well before Title IX. And uh, high school sports, college sports for girls was nonexistent.
0: So, I, some people might have heard you say this, but I thought this was fascinating. You spent all that time, became an Olympian, and really didn't have the facilities or the resources to even get there. Can
1: you take us through that? No. no. I, I, you know, in high school, uh, Cedar Rapids, Nebraska, had no weight room. Like I said, my, my, my weight room was working on the farm, yeah. you know cutting cutting cockleburs and walking the corn and lifting irrigation pipe and carrying milk cans and uh, milking cows by hand in the morning at morning and night and so that was my weight training even when i came to the university there was no well my husband played for tom osborne and bob Devaney. he graduated in 1969 and back then even the even the men's football team was not fully invested in weight training at all they did a lot of uh, uh different kinds of training but a full weight program tom osborne didn't implement that until what 1970 somewhere in there so weight training was not existent not just for women but certainly not you know even for men so i um, came down to the university i lived in pound hall I, uh, part of my work at Pound Hall has 13 floors. It used to before they destroyed it. uh, Pound Hall had 13 floors. I'd run those 13 floors, uh, ran up to the fairgrounds and uh, threw at the fairgrounds because the University of Nebraska did not sponsor any women's athletics at that time at all. And I was a physical education and math double major. And the, the head of the physical education department was a gal by the name of Dudley Ashton. I'll never forget her. Gray hair and a big bun. And uh, she hated, she really didn't want me to throw at all. And I know it broke her heart when the rest of the physical education majors elected me president my senior year. And so uh, I, had, I had to work through a lot of things. I, my, uh, I worked my first two years Didn't have any kind of scholarship, of course. My folks couldn't couldn't pay for it. So my junior and senior year, I became a student assistant. And my junior year, I was a student assistant at Pound Hall. And I would leave Pound Hall and run straight up, what is it, 16th, 17th Street, straight up to the fairgrounds, do my throwing and my running. And when I came back, a lot of times, you know, I was sweaty. You could tell I'd been working out. And the gal that was the gal, the lady, and I can't tell your name, the lady that was the head honcho over the grad assistants uh, did not like that I was coming back sweaty. She thought that was inappropriate. And the next year I was transferred to ABA Hall. Wow.
0: So, I mean, during that time again, it was no Title IX, and you weren't, it was not necessarily anything was handed to you. You had to work through a lot of stuff. and. Um, not necessarily easy easily to train all that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. why did you why were you motivated even then through all of those things you know
1: it I just I started loving athletics like I said when my bro I went to watch my brother play basketball he he had a scholarship to Norfolk Junior College in basketball so I saw a lot of basketball always wanted to play my my best memories on the farm are throwing this I had a weighted rubber softball that i would throw off of the 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 house and field ground balls and just play by myself throw you know (laughs) i i said to my grandkids once i said i used to shoot shoot uh baskets in the corn crib and they go what's a corn crib (laughs) you know and you're wiping the mud off the ball no cement no anything and winter summer i just loved sports and so when I had the opportunity to go beyond high school and do something, uh, that was what a lot of people never didn't have a chance to do in my day and age.
0: So um, when you
1: make the Olympic team, how special was that? Yeah, that, that really was. You know, uh, the opening ceremonies, the, uh, the only thing that I wished hadn't happened was the first flight got to throw on a dry circle and the second flight, it rained and uh, the circle was wet. They didn't do a very good job of clean. I didn't have my best throw. I wanted to throw my personal best at the Olympics and I didn't. But, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. I, I, when I was at the uh, world championships in uh, France, in Lyon, France, I was throwing the discus <laughs> and there was this gal that was from East Germany and she said, I said, yeah, I I was in the 68 Olympics, and this gal from East Germany says, Germany now, but she threw for East Germany, and she said, but I didn't throw very well. The circle was wet. And I said, you were in the second flight, and she and I were throwing against each other in Lyon, France, as 70-year-olds, and, yeah, it was... was, uh, that was, that was kind of a neat memory, too. Wow. But I didn't throw my best. That, that was the one disappointment that I had. Other than that, the Olympic experience was, was awesome.
0: So when you get back and you kind of start transitioning, when did you know that you wanted to be a coach?
1: Did you always know that you wanted to be a coach? Uh, yeah, Because even before the Olympics, um, I—that's how old I am—I was I opened Lincoln East High School, not myself, but I graduated from the university in '67, and that fall, I taught math and PE at Lincoln East. I I coached uh, about three or four girls in track and took them to a couple meets, and so, yeah, I just I knew that I I knew that I wanted to to be a coach.
0: So I, I was talking to you the other day and you're telling me a little bit about when you took the job here and you began coaching here. I mean, can you tell me about that?
1: And you had, what, one, two scholarships yeah. and what that was like at that right. time? you know, uh, that was in 1976. My husband, Larry, took the head football job at Lincoln High. And at the same time I took the head, I was head cross country, indoor, outdoor, had one assistant and earned $2,000. Wow. that was my that was my first salary at the university uh, they didn't have scholarship money i had like two two hundred dollar scholarships that i could give out and our our very first very first year was at the bob so i opened lincoln east high school also bob Devaney, because that was the the, the year that bob Devaney opened and so I was, I didn't have to coach in Mushroom Gardens, which is just under the, the stadium over here. And, uh, but I had one assistant, Linda Zek, my husband, after he got done coaching at Lincoln High uh, in the spring, he would come down and help. So I had basically myself and one and a half other assistants, and uh, but we ended up Uh, winning the what was then the big eight we ended up winning the big eight indoor big eight outdoor and uh got second in the nationals wow so yeah we went from we went from hardly even having a track team to winning the big big eight championship and then gary pepin took over for me and wow (laughs) Wow. what a career what a career for sure just Mm -hmm. retired
0: yeah Uh, was it hard to get girls to want to compete at that time
1: you know it was uh that was 1976. In 1972, Nebraska held their first state track meet. And so track, I, be- I don't know when volleyball and basketball started, but I think it was about that same time. And track uh, was nonexistent at the university until, I believe, about 1974. But there was a guy by the name, of his, oh, I can't say his first name now, Foster, Coach Foster at uh, UNK. Was a great track coach, and anybody who was any good went to run for Charlie Foster at UNK, and so I had a hard time recruiting against him because he had a program already established. But in uh, in 1976, I was I was able to recruit Nancy Kindig, Cindy Tatum, Sandra Obermeyer, the three of the very best athletes in the state. And convinced them to come to the university. And from then on, we became the powerhouse. And uh, wow, it kind of awesome. grew, grew from there.
0: So, how did you get into football coaching then? What was that transition, transition
1: <laughs> like for you? <laughs> well, I coached at the university from 76 to 80. My husband coached at Lincoln High from 76 to 80. And, you know, by this time now, I'm having to spend a lot of time away from home. There's a lot of recruiting time. It's really starting to be more of a big time operation. My, uh, my, my son, Steve, was in second grade. Scott was just going into kindergarten. And between Larry and I spending as much time with sports, we weren't able to spend as much time as we wanted to with them. And so he took a coaching job at O'Neill, Nebraska, which is probably c2 now probably was c2 then and um he came from lincoln high and he had a whole staff of like five coaches and he goes to goes to o'neill and it's him and one other guy and he larry really liked to throw the ball grew up you know played under tom osborne and wanted to implement implement a lot of the throwing stuff that that osborne had and so uh, Dennis Gall was his line coach and Larry couldn't coach quarterbacks, uh, running backs and receivers. And uh, I had been throwing to him while he was playing at the university, I'd been throwing the football to him for a couple of years. And so I pretty much knew his stuff. And so he said, uh, I, I started coaching his receivers and uh, that was in 1980, 81. And so for like 20, 25 years, I was uh, I was boys. You said coach. you were
0: throwing. Uh, were you, you? Did you have a cannon of an arm? Figure? Yeah, you could, you could throw yeah. it pretty good. Yeah. Pretty yeah. good, I right?
1: Th- I can throw forty. <laughs> I could awesome. I could throw forty yards. I couldn't throw fifty, but yeah, that was one thing that uh, you know everybody wondered. What are, What do the boys think? What do they think mm-hmm. about you? And and uh, but they uh, you know at at first every school we ever went to they'd throw the ball back to me like I was going to break, you know, and I'd throw the ball at them. And uh, yeah, they uh, they quickly learned that I could I could throw the ball and I could I could throw all the the outs and the corners and the you know every the horns and everything that we ran. So wow, yeah, that's awesome. How did you yeah. go
0: about? I mean, again, because you talk about coaches evolve and and knowing what to teach the boys as the game evolves and and just staying oh, on top of that the was wide receivers. that was totally
1: that was totally my husband <laughs> I mean he was the whole game planner he handed me the practice set, schedule and said do this and um but he called the game you know I was just uh he always just said that I was a good coach because I was a good technician well mm-hmm. uh, that comes from being a throwing coach you know I I could teach footwork I could teach how to catch the ball but as far as the strategy goes he was the he was the one that did all of that.
0: So how did you, did you go uh, tackle the technique part of it and, and teaching those, the yeah. wide receivers that Yeah, well, he,
1: he, you know, it was basically the same thing. He taught me what Osborne taught him, and I taught that to the, to the kids so I coached wide receivers and uh, defensive ends we ran a five-man front and you know a nose two tackles and two defensive ends and so on defense I, I coach defensive ends and on offense I coach receivers wow that is
0: so cool you know you, you talk about being a boys coach during that time and mm-hmm. I'm sure you know you I know you had said that your husband was supportive of it and and you know allowed for you to have that opportunity but it wasn't normal then so did you I mean did you realize it
1: wasn't normal then or well yeah it was but you know after you been to the Olympics and coached at the university coaching at the high school level wasn't that big a deal and Larry was really supportive and uh, for the most part the coaches that I that we coached against were supportive I only had a couple couple incidents where I knew that uh, they didn't appreciate a woman being out. Actually, the the people that didn't appreciate me coaching boys football were probably the the Southern Bell women in Texas, because I coached football in Texas, which, you know, 15,000 seat stadium and that whole thing in Texas. And some of the some of the ladies weren't really appreciative of me coaching, but. That didn't bother me.
0: <laughs> yeah. So when you go to practice now, do you do you are you drawn toward the wide receivers and watching oh, yeah. them? Yeah. Oh, I
1: always watch the offense. You know, I'll watch the defense, but wherever the one and two offense is, that's generally where I am.
0: <laughs> so what even now to this day, I mean you, you love sports, you grew up around it, what how much do you love, I guess, because you're always at practice and I know you, you enjoy being out there. How mm-hmm. much do you just love being oh, out there?
1: I just I, I you know <sighs> I don't know what it is, but, uh, you know, I grew up just loving sports and and technique and teaching technique. And uh, I went to bed last night and watched the Cubs win and then went to bed watching the Padres get beat. You know, I just (laughs) the reason I watched the Padres is because my older son and my grandson came from San Diego to Texas and they're still big Padre fans. And so I have to watch the Cubs and the Padres. I, uh, I can watch, I can watch anything. I'll watch the entire Masters, and uh, and never leave the never leave the couch. I just I just like watching sports. It's awesome. Yeah.
0: So you know, celebrating 50 years of Title IX, and you were in sports before even Title IX was passed. But you think about the 50 years and how far it's come, and even from when you were competing to now the opportunities. How do you reflect mm-hmm. upon that and the growth of women's sports? Oh gosh. You know, as
1: I look back, uh, I, I, I just so wish that I would have had the opportunities that girls have now. You know, had, had sports been what they are in 2000, even in, you know, 1990, compared to what they were when I graduated in 1965, I, I, my first love was basketball. I I would have I would have loved had a scholarship to the University of Nebraska in basketball. If I didn't have it in basketball, it would have been softball, because I you know I played softball on the uh, state championship team, and so those were my first two loves. But there was no opportunity, so I ended up going to the Olympics in track and field because the opportunity was there.
0: You know, and a lot of people consider you. You know again a pioneer and and you helped pave the way and did things when they weren't supposed to be done and all of mm-hmm. that what does that mean to you that so many women look up to you and see you as a role model and are so appreciative of the
1: things that you did before it was even possible you know i, um, I like that you say that i don't think of myself like that mm-hmm. you know i just i just wanted to play softball i wanted to play basketball it was just something that uh, and then my husband was a sports nut too, and I raised two sports nuts for sons, and so it's just been it's just been part of my life. I don't care whether people look up to me or not. That's just that's just what I do. It's I awesome. always tell people I throw things. <laughs> <laughs> throw things.
0: Um, and then you still compete now, right? Uh, I have been. Yes. I have and been. Own, I, own all kinds of records. Well, uh...
1: I I have the the American record I have in both the shot and the discus um I held the world record in the javelin for about oh gosh nine months and then somebody broke it but uh, yeah I competed in the world championships I was going to go when I turned 75 uh they were supposed to be in Toronto but that was the COVID year and you weren't going to bring a whole bunch of old people together at a track meet during COVID and so that was canceled and um this year it was um in Finland but it kind of backs up to Ireland and so I didn't go there. So maybe next year I'll compete again in the Worlds.
0: That's awesome. All right, last thing I got for you, just give us, put your coaching hat on, I guess, and give us your coaching speech. If someone was listening in and maybe thinking about getting involved at an older age, or maybe wanting to overcome, you think about the things you did as a young woman, just overcoming or getting involved in sports, what, what, what would be your message if
1: they are listening? Oh, you know, uh. Listen to your parents, listen to your coaches, but having coached as many years as I can or as I have, there's only one way that you can succeed, and that is if you yourself, have the self-discipline to go out on the the driveway and shoot baskets or swing the golf club or whatever because it has to come from inside. Doesn't matter what your coach says. Doesn't matter what your parents say. It has to be you that wants it. And if you want it, there's nothing that can stop you in this day and age. Love it.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, Fascinating conversation. And man, you've done so much and so neat to hear about. So thank you for chatting with us. Yes.